today on Ag News Daily. Um, I do think that the world feed demand is not going to change, so I, I, I think the world is still going to use the same amount of soybeans that uh, they would have otherwise without the tariffs. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is July 9th. My name is Hannah Pagel, bringing you the Ag News Daily podcast with my co-host, Delaney Howell. How are you doing, Delaney? I'm not too bad. Hannah, how about you? I'm doing wonderful, and we are also joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing? I am wonderful. It's sunny. The whatever weather is good. I don't know. I just ate a whole lot of chips and dips, so I kind of feel a little bloaty. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'm good. Well, that's good to hear. Do you guys have good weekends? Very good. Very good. Fun. Mine was a lot of work, but, you know, that's, uh, that's the way life goes sometimes. I do have to Definitely. ask, did either of you guys see that meteor that came by? No, but I saw about it on Twitter. I didn't, I don't really, it was a meteorite. I mean, I just saw people posting, oh, hey, did you see that whatever going over? But I did not see it. I don't know what happened. Fill me in, Hannah. Well, I didn't see it either, but I was at home last night and my dad was coming home from doing chores, and all of a sudden, like, I, I had just texted him to see when he was coming home, and he calls me, and he's just like, you will not believe what I just saw. I just I just saw this big blue-green fireball in the sky, and I'm huh? like, really? Like, <laughs> what have you been doing? But, yeah, and then it was confirmed on the news today that what he saw was actually a meteorite, so that's pretty cool. Do we know where it landed? Or did it land? Do these things burn up in the atmosphere, I guess? I was actually curious about that, and I did do a quick Google search to see, like, you know, have there been many, like, cases where it's, like, come towards the Earth and it's going to hit, like, you know, hit something? But I I haven't really found much on that, so I, I'm honestly not 100% sure. All right. I know there was one in Russia several years ago that uh, came down, and by the time it landed, it was like, I think, the size of a baseball, and it went right through the engine of a car. Burned a hole in the hood and burned the engine and went into the ground. I would think, though, if it was bluish green and you could see it, it was fairly close to the Earth's atmosphere. I, we're not scientists. I have no idea. <laughs> I know. It's I'm just making an educated. Sure, but it could yeah. be, you know, skimming across the top. I forget the movie where they do that. Maybe it's, uh, I think it's Apollo 13, where the they're worried that the re-entry would be too shallow right. and they'd enter the atmosphere and then skip back off into space. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a scientist either. I'm just making some educated hypothesis. Hypothesis. And, I'm just going from what I've seen in movies. So let's get back to our area of expertise, which does tend to be the world of agricultural news. And Delaney, what's jumping out at you this Monday? Yeah, you know, we're still kind of, I guess, seeing some of the reverberations from Friday's announcements about trade and whatnot. Um, and when we look at other trade news, Japan has been working to ratify the CPTPP, the new updated version of TPP. Um, and they have been working with Canada to ratify some of the tariffs that are between those two countries. And if they do, or once the pact is, does go into effect as early as 2019, we could see Japan's tariffs on Canadian and Australian wheat drop. 
from about $150 per metric ton to $85 per metric ton, while the U.S. will still remain at $150 per ton. Hmm. When was that going to take effect? Not until 2019. Okay. Would be the earliest we see it take effect, but I think a lot of people are, I mean, a lot of global players are looking to secure food sources I mean, with what's going on with President Trump, um, and it's not all bad news. President Trump does have a meeting next week on, excuse me, this week on Thursday to meet with London and UK officials to discuss some potential bilateral trade agreements there. But I think a lot of countries are just nervous now seeing, you know, that President Trump is serious when he says he wants the best deal for America and he is not afraid to put tariffs into place, to do things to protect uh, the American consumer. And I think that a lot of countries are, are nervous about that now to see if they would get affected by that as well. And Delaney, do you know how many countries so far have ratified that CPTPP? Is it just well, Canada and Japan? I think so far they're the two that have made the biggest changes to the current agreement. Um, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I haven't really followed it since America is not involved. Right. I don't care. You know, well, okay, I'm an American so, first, darn it. And if the, they don't want to do business with us, then huh, I refuse to learn. Stop it. The countries that are involved are Japan, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, Vietnam, Brunei, Chile, Peru, Singapore, and Malaysia. Um, but I think the two that just have made the most changes are Japan and Canada. Okay. Well, since we're on the topic of trade and China and so forth, we got confirmation of something that had been suspected when China put its reciprocal tariffs, including on soybeans, last Friday. And that is China said they will reimburse buyers, Chinese buyers, of soybeans that get used for the state grain reserves. So basically what they're saying is that if, if you're a Chinese company and you buy soybeans from North America – you're going to have to pay the 25% tariff when those beans come into the country, but then they will reimburse you once the Chinese government buys those beans to go into their stockpiles. Uh, it sounds like a pretty elegant workaround from the Chinese perspective because it allows the tariffs to stay on the books and therefore, you know, encourages folks to buy other places, but it also allows China to get the soybeans they need at a lower price. They'll just say, oh, it's for the reserves, and then they get around these tariffs. So it's pretty that, clever. Oh, okay, that makes sense. What does yeah. China do with the, the soybeans in the reserves? Like, that's that was my question with that article. Million-dollar question, Hannah. And um, we'll be talking with Brian Split a little bit later on in the day, a market analyst, and we'll ask him that question. But basically, they just have them in bins, in stockpiles, and then every couple of years, they try to draw down those stockpiles and use them in feed and so forth. And then they buy more to put in there. But Chinese, for whatever reason, I, I'm guessing it's food security, they mm -hmm. just feel more comfortable when they have huge stockpiles of feed grains lying around the country. And uh, I think I think part of the concern is that they have just such an ever-expanding population. Food and, and food famine is a real concern. So I think that's part of the reason they do it, too. You bet. And the government knows that if their people aren't getting fed, they're more likely to revolt. And the uh, right. Communist Party does not want that to happen there in China. 
No, not at all. Definitely not. Well, Mike, while we're talking about China and soybeans, I just wanted to do a quick update. You talked last Friday about a race that was going on from a ship that was carrying soybeans from America to China, and you said that it was trying to get there before the tariffs went into place. Well, yes, the peak Pegasus. Yes, the peak Pegasus. Well, it did not make it in time, and it was idled just off the coast, about 19 miles off of the port of Delane on so it's still still there today but it did not make it in time so the ship was not fast enough oh sad um, sound I wonder if they'll end up taking those beans into the country or if they'll find another home for them somewhere else I don't know good questions well Delaney what's what else you got well this week uh, lawmakers will be returning to DC after their 4th of July weekend to uh, work on farm bill discussions so the next Step right now is the House and Senate will both nominate folks to come together and address the bill together. They'll have a conference where negotiate. Well, they're basically negotiate it and try to make it one uniform bill to vote on again in both the House and the Senate. So that should start this week. Um, And also expected to happen probably today is President Trump's pick to replace Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy. Yes, and it's basically one of three people, isn't that the current? I uh, think so. Yep. All right. I think so, the contenders are Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Connie Barrett, and Raymond Kethledge. I'm not familiar with who that is. Yeah, Kethledge, right. That's the third. Yeah. So we'll know tomorrow, folks. Be sure to tune in, although I'm sure this news will be everywhere, you know, yeah. once Trump officially names a name. Yep, I think so. I've got some news here, of course. On this podcast, I have come out against these tariffs repeatedly, uh, but we have evidence today of Chinese wrongdoing. And uh, this is coming from a U.S. judge. This happened on Friday. The Chinese wind turbine maker, Sinovel Wind Group Company LTD, has been accused and found guilty of stealing trade secrets from a Massachusetts company called AMSC, used to be American Semiconductor. And this judge was in Madison, Wisconsin, and he sentenced Sinovel to pay a $1.5 million fine and one year of probation, which I guess I'm not entirely sure what it means. Plus, they have to pay the remainder of a balance from a business deal they had with AMMC, AMSC of $57.5 million. So all in, this decision cost Sinovel $59 million and it happened on Friday because they were stealing technology. That is a real concern we have when we uh, look at doing business with Chinese corporations. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I was reading an article last week, too. Um, what was the Chinese, I think it was like a phone carrier, or they developed like infrastructure for rural broadband or for broadband, but it was talking about how if we don't do business with them, it would... uh continue to worsen the effects of rural broadband and rural signal reception in america yeah what was the company i think it's like uh oh it's the one that has been in the news a lot telecom vte VTE. yep that's it Hmm. so they have services for rural americans well they have services that we use here in america and the article was talking about how if we shut off some of those services because of 
the tariffs or intellectual property concerns, then folks in rural America would be hit the hardest because we use apparently a lot of the technology that they've developed. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, huh. They were doing business with North Korea. I mean, I don't think they're going to get out of this thing unscathed there at uh, ZTE, (laughs) the Chinese telecom company. So, hmm. Well, Hannah, any other news for us today? I got one last fun one to cap it off. So, did you guys know that July is National Ice Cream Month? Oh, no, but now I need some. I didn't know that, but I have celebrated every day so far this month. Well, now I've that's gotten great. You're supposed to have some now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have some after we're done with the podcast today. That sounds great. What's your guys' favorite flavor? Go um, for it, Delaney. Okay, so either like just plain chocolate or chocolate with like some sort of brownie mixed in or... The other day at the store, I was like, oh, I should probably just buy my own tub of ice cream because I keep going to Dairy Queen or Creamer, Creamstone or whatever. So I was like, oh, I'll just buy some. And then I got that really great shells, like that Reese's Hershey, Hershey's shell stuff. So then when you put it on the ice cream, it gets nice and hard. So that's probably my new favorite right now. Oh, yum. Interesting. Hannah, what's your favorite? You know, I... I'm like a supporter of all types of ice cream. I'm not a fan of mint chip, but I oh. I go for just a solid soft serve vanilla ice cream cone. I'm pretty basic. Oh, <laughs> now see, we're entering a whole different realm of discussion here, which is oh, no. soft, soft serve versus yeah. real actual good ice cream, which is the kind that you scoop with a scooper. I think soft serve is good when you go to like a local like mom and pop ice cream store oh sure and they blend it with oreos or butterfinger bits i 100 percent agree hannah where do you fall on the hard versus soft serve i technically uh, i I like them both but we have a local ice cream shop um in my hometown and they serve both hard scoop and soft serve and i shouldn't admit this but i like to try samples of the hard scoop because they have all these different flavors but then i always end up going for my soft serve ice cream so <laughs> I kind of get a little bit of both, but I have an interesting piece here because the first recorded recipe for ice cream was written back in the 1600s, and it called for cream, sugar, orange flour, water, and then ambergris. Have you guys ever heard of ambergris? No. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. Okay, so if you have queasy stomachs hang on here because it's a wax-like <laughs> substance that originates as a secretion in the intestines of whales oh, and so great yeah it's, it's i i was trying to figure out why they would use this but apparently whales consume heavy diets of giant squid and then they are unable to digest the bone-like squid beaks and so that's when it like as it's going down the intestines or, or the stomach it has to come back up so they call it whale vomit but that's what they used in the <laughs> recipe oh, God. to make ice cream. And I was just like, wow. But listeners, just to let you know, whale vomit is not used in the production of ice cream <laughs> anymore, but it is used in high-end perfumes. Just just a heads up. Oh, you know, I have for my entire life thought the hardest working, least appreciated group of people were dairy farmers. So they're they're up every day, they're milking those cows, they're growing the corn, they're doing all the work, and it's nonstop. But, Hannah, you might be changing my mind. I think a job that might be harder and is certainly less appreciated would be whale vomit collector. 
I, I don't know how many guidance counselors in high school have that on their future career sheet. It would be hmm. an interesting Bro. job. Maybe one for, one. what is it, like Mike Rowe? He dirty does those job. Dirty, dirty yeah. jobs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Hmm. Well, we've got all sorts of stuff to think about here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney, do you have any other news for us today? No, I'm just grossed out now. Let's move on. Well, I've got one final piece of news before we get to the markets. I know we do have a lot of listeners up there in Canada. And, of course, beginning on the 5th and ending on July 15th is the Calgary Stampede, the greatest outdoor show on earth. And there was a report in Reuters today that the Calgary Stampede is growing in terms of attendance and dollars spent because the oil patch is picking up. They said the uh, the 2016 had 13-year lows in attendance, and they are well up from that, and it continues to grow as oil and gas producers are spending more money and attracting more people into kind of the Albertan countryside. And uh, that's good news. So if anybody is going up to the Stampede or if you've been to the Stampede, we want to hear your stories. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at social media, other just those two, I guess at agnewsdaily.com. Now, should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. Let's do it, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with them. You can call them directly and put a plan in place for your marketing. Give them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. A lot of red on the screen today as we take a look at the markets. July corn down six cents at three forty-five and three quarters. The December also closed lower by six at three sixty-seven even. In soybeans, giving back a lot of Friday's gains. The July contract was down twenty-two and a quarter at eight fifty-one and three quarters. November new crop down twenty-two and a half to close at eight seventy-two even. And in Chicago wheat, the July was off five cents at five oh seven and three quarters. September down seven and a quarter to close the day at five oh eight even. Looking over at the livestock side, boy, we've got more red here in live cattle. August contract was down 25 cents at 106.1250. The October down a dollar to finish at 108.6250. In feeder cattle, the August contract lower 75 cents at 151.45. The September down 50 cents to close 151.7750. And lean hogs were not spared today. The July contract was off a dollar 15 at 80.2250. The August down 265, closed the day at 72.77.50. And it is National Ice Cream Month. Let's see if that's doing anything for our friends in the dairy industry. In the July, Class 3 milk contract, no, it was lower by 4 cents at 14.16, while the August was down 18 cents to close the day at 14.51. Before we get the scoop on all of this from our friend Brian Split in the Hashtag Market Monday discussion, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. I'm joined now by agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds, Phil Long. And Phil, a lot of folks have been experiencing severe weather, and along with that comes some concern with green snap. What have you been seeing when you've been getting out in the field, and what should producers be doing to prevent this or once this occurs in their field? Yeah, it seems like we can't get away from this severe weather. Heavy heavy winds and, and hail, we've had a lot of that stuff lately. And, and now this last weekend, it seems like there's a lot of green snap showing up, you know. And it's just the time of the year, unfortunately. This is the time when you when you hope, hope you don't have those strong winds come through. The corn plants are growing really fast. It's that period of rapid growth. And, and you know, those, those 
nodes and those inner nodes just aren't lignified yet. They're not, not strengthened up to the point that they will be once they get the tassel and start filling that in. But um, unfortunately, we have a lot of green snap around the around the state. Unfortunately, we, we won't expect to, to see an ear for most of those plants because typically they break off below the, the primary ear. So you're not going to see yield out of that one. There are there are cases where sometimes you may see an ear pop through, you know, a secondary ear if it broke off just below that that primary ear. But uh, you typically you're not going to see you're going to have a, a total loss in terms of that plant. Um, you know, in the future, the, the best thing to do really is, is try to mitigate that and plant a range of maturities. You know, try to get those plants at different stages so they're at different points in that process uh, during this, this key time frame. And, and I'd say just pray for less wind, but I know that's, that's a hard thing to come across out here in, in this part of the country. It definitely is. And Phil, if folks have questions about their fields or more specifically green snap, how can they get a hold of you? Just uh, go to uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven go latham or, or send us an email as well. Well, it is hashtag Market Monday, and joining us now is friend of the podcast, Brian Split from Allendale. Brian, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Great to be here. Now, we got to start off this week by talking about, I think, the soybean market. We're down 22-some cents across the, the contracts, giving back most of Friday's gains. Brian, what's going on? Uh, you know, I think there's a combination of a few things going on out there. Uh, number one, I, I think a lot of the sentiment was that uh, you know, we had low-volume trade on Friday, and we were able to just kind of blow through some levels. Um, thought that maybe the gains were overdone uh, was part of the selling today. Uh, it's not common, and actually, I think Friday's uh, settlement of 38 and three quarters cent higher was the largest one-day gain for that particular contract. So, um, I don't think it's out of the ordinary to give some of that back. Uh, you know, we did have the, uh, the forecast moderate a little bit. And uh, I think just the fact that we've got a report coming out later this week as well, uh, when you look at some of the expectations for the report, it does seem like we're going to have some higher ending stock numbers to deal with. And, and number one, we know that the USDA is going to be using uh, uh, some higher planted acreage numbers um, than what we had on the balance sheets on the June WASDE report. But uh, we also, you know, somewhat surprisingly have the average estimates for yield um, slightly higher than where they, they had it in June, which is atypical for the USDA to make a movement in the, the July WASDE report on yield. Uh, really, the last time they did that was in 2012, and, and rightfully so, because we had rather extreme weather in June. But uh, that's often, uh, you know, reserved for the August WASDE report as far as the USDA making any any changes to the to the yield. Brian, when you look at what the markets are factoring in for soybean yields, what number are you looking at, and what number is the trade looking at? Um, you know, I, I think the USDA, um, or I should say, the trade is is using a number right now as far as pre-trade estimates that are. Uh, close to 49 or slightly higher, but I think what may be priced in is something closer to to 50 plus. It, it's very hard to get a real good gauge on what the trade is pricing in um, because we have the other factor of the the, the tariffs. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have a day like today, or you know a month like the month of June, 
Um, it, it's hard to differentiate how much selling is because they feel the crop is getting better and the crop conditions are are so high, and uh, how much of the selling is based on fears over uh, you know the trade back and forth and the tariffs and the implications of such. Uh, but I do think right now, uh, and I said this, you know, back on uh, U.S. Farm Report, and you know, about a month ago, I thought the trade was already at 180 plus on corn yield, and it's probably gone up a touch from there. Uh, and I think on soybeans right now, and it's still very early for the soybean growing season, a lot can change. But I do think the trade is at 50 or, or slightly higher right now on on bean yield. And Brian, is there, a, or sorry, um, the USDA acreage report came out a couple weeks ago or last week, and it stated that there were more soybeans planted this year than corn. And I was just curious with the soybean tariffs, can we expect or predict to see, like, what can we expect to see with the soybean markets? Like, will there be too much of a surplus? Or, you know, what advice can we give to farmers who have more soybeans than corn in their operation that they need to market? What can they do? Uh, well, I'm not going to really suggest anybody sell beans at these levels. And, and to be honest with you, with the amount of time that we had soybeans trade over $10 a bushel, uh, you know, it's we, we, we've been trading over $10 basically since the beginning of the year up until um, a point in, in early June. So you had six months to, to do something with your new crop beans above $10. Um, I think if you need to make sales because you cannot uh, store them yourself, um, then you have to find a way to have some kind of paper ownership of those bushels. Um, I do think that the world bead demand is not going to change. Um, so I, I think the world is still going to use the same amount of soybeans that uh, they would have otherwise without the tariffs, but you know things are going to be shuffled around a little bit. Um, and w- with that being said, you know, and, and what you had mentioned with the uh, higher soybean acres this year than corn acres, I think there are some implications with that now looking ahead where when you look at the price of December 19 corn sitting right around 395 a bushel uh, with nearby corn trading just under 370 and then you look at November 19 soybeans at, let's just call it $9 a bushel, I don't see anybody racing to plant soybeans next year, especially if they're concerned about and ongoing, um, you know, issues with trade. So, I do think nine-dollar beans for Nov 19 is, is actually a, a very viable or ownable contract. Um, every year for the last 11 years since 2007, the front November contract has made it over ten dollars a bushel, and actually the lowest high of any of those highs for that for the for the front November contract is ten dollars and forty-five cents. So I, I believe that between now and, you know, who knows, maybe it'll be two months from now or eight months from now, but we'll see, you know, 19 back over $10 a bushel. Um, I think for the implications on, on acreage for corn next year, um, because of the shift to beans that we had this year, I do think that producers need to be a little extra aggressive on, on their 19 sales to start their marketing program. Uh, so that might mean... Looking at four dollar December or you know four fifteen to four twenty um, July twenty corn uh, as a place to to start and at least get something done ahead of time. Absolutely, Brian. Let's talk about new crop corn here for just a second. We're heading into this period right now when a lot of producers it's make or break for them weather wise. 
if we do have some sort of weather issue, what should we be looking for in the December contract? Will we get some fundamental support, even with all the trade and tariff uh, news going on? You know, we, we know how quickly the focus can shift in these markets, and right now it seems like everything the trade uh, throws at us is bearish, whether it's the expectation of, of the yields to continue to increase because of conditions or the perception of weather. Uh, I, I think it's it's very early in the growing season to talk about some of the yield numbers that I've been hearing. You know, I've, I've heard numbers in the in the mid 180s being tossed around. Um, you know, can we grow that? I, I suppose, but we have to pollinate this crop, and uh, we've got some growing season left before we can assume that that's the yield that we're going to have. But I think this is where you know, looking at the chart and minding uh, some very specific chart points uh, is going to come in handy. Where you know, let's assume for a second that the low that we made on July 2nd at 358.5 might be a, an interim low. And if we can build a base from there, I'll be looking at some of the retracement levels. 394 would be the halfway point between the the highs that we had in, in May mm-hmm. to the lows that we made recently. You've got the longer-term moving averages, the, the 200 days at 396, the 50 days at 399.5, the 100 days at 402. 402 and a half is 62% retracement, and and there's a gap to fill that we left on the way down from June 1st to June 4th at 411, and I I do think there's a a shot at filling that at some point, but we're going to have to have some kind of a story developed to to turn this thing around. Um, the major barrier between um, you know a, a bear market continuing and finding some kind of a move to higher prices is going to be these 380 and a half highs that were made. Uh, in late June, I think if we can get through that, uh, then we could turn into a, a bull market again and, and go searching for some higher values again. Now, Brian, you touched on this in the soybean commentary. I want to bring it up on the corn side as well. If growers are making sales, whether it's today or you know a month from now, if prices stay kind of where where they are today, and you mentioned maybe it's worthwhile to look at some kind of paper re-ownership. Can you give us a, a feel of what options pricing or pricing is doing? What would it take to get a, a, a Dees Corn call bot uh, today? Uh, well, so just to give you an idea, and, and I had just mentioned that I, I believe that uh, corn needs to get through 380 basis, the December contract, to turn into a potential uh, uptrend again. So just to quote that that December corn 380 call is a starting point. And again, that option is based off the December contract. Uh, it's on the board for another 136 days, so it'll expire on November 23rd. That should be plenty of time for us to really get through the crop and, and see just how big the yield or, or just how big it isn't uh, at the end of the day. But that 380 call settled today at 14.5 cents. All right. And so when you're looking at it from a risk management perspective, is that a price point at which you feel comfortable encouraging producers to pull the trigger if if they do need to get some sales on the books and they are forced to sell down in here? You know, I, I think every operation is different, you know, and, and every individual has their own risk tolerance. But uh, I think the willingness to buy that call is somewhat dictated by how much you have sold um, and how much you need to sell. You know, if you've already got a good amount of, of sales uh, placed at higher levels above the market, I'm less likely to uh, to put some premium into, into the, the option and, and just be happy with the overall average. Uh, 
but you know it's tough because if if you don't have much going on and you're making sales at lower levels now you're spending premium uh, on top of poor sales and that could dig you in a deeper hole so this is really something you have to consider for your your whole operation and and do the math and figure out where it puts you but um i you know i'm i'm in the mindset right now that uh you know, with the volatility that we've seen in the corn options, especially during the month of July and the, and the tight range that we've had so far, uh, you know, these really aren't that bad of values to, to pay for calls. Uh, Brian, I want to take it over here to cattle really quick. Let's talk feeder cattle specifically. The August and September contracts both are above, broke above 150. We haven't really seen those levels supported since the early March, mid-March. Do you the uh, future strength at these 150 levels, and if so, maybe even higher? What are you looking at for a price target? Uh, well, you mentioned 150, and, and that's uh, a level that um, I'd really like to see these feeder contracts maintain. Um, and so for uh, uh, you know risk management right now, it might be worth uh, having some kind of an option position to protect that level. Um, but, you know, we are looking at, in our mindset, if, especially if the, the price of corn stays stagnant, uh, you know, we believe that we've seen the high for the year in, in beef supply and that over the next several months, supplies are, are going to be, you know, working themselves backwards from here. Um, you know, we, we think we've seen the highest, uh, you know, slaughter levels that we'll see for the year. So we're looking for some higher levels on both feeders and fats, um, August fats, we think can get about another uh, five cents a hundred weight higher up to that 111 level for expiration. And uh, you know, on the on back to your question on the feeder contract here, as long as we're holding 150, I, I like the way the market looks. But uh, again, if if you have some concern, um, you know, having some puts under that level and hoping for the market to continue to go higher wouldn't be a horrible way to go about it. Now, you mentioned in the August contract, fat cattle, looking at that at 111 cash traded last week, 112 to 114 there in Nebraska and Colorado. When you look out farther, talk the October, the December, what price points are you targeting? If we're through the biggest point of the cattle slaughter and we still see strong demand out there in the countryside, folks are still paying crazy money when they're eating beef at restaurants. Can we push this thing back north of 120? Brian. Uh, 120 for the uh, for the late fall, um, early you know winter time frame is going to be a tough nut to crack, but I think we can get close. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the December contract at some point, you know, try and work its way back up to that uh, 118ish area, um, you know, and, and the way the the chart looks to me. After having gotten down to about 107, um, you know, after a failure at at 114. Uh, a move back up to that 118 to 120 area, if we can maintain um, some strength at some point over 114, that seems to me where it, it might want to go. Uh, and, and you know, again, a lot of this may be somewhat dictated by what corn does in the meantime, but I think if we've got, uh, you know, some relatively cheap corn prices that, uh, you know, the, the cattle market can go search for some higher levels yet. Brian, let's talk really quick here about lean hogs. Uh, we're sitting at a pretty good premium here in the July front month contract. What's going on? Why are we uh, seeing such a premium um, in the July and August contract above maybe October? Is it just because of normal seasonal demand? 
Well, I don't think it's uncommon at all for the summer months to be at a, a rather uh, distinct premium to the to the fall and, and winter contracts. And you know, I've I've had producers, uh, you know, really reiterate over and over that if they can just avoid losing um, money on their October December loads, that uh, their year you know will shake out rather good. Uh, so that it seems like any time you get a a chance to hedge or sell that December contract at 64, 65, uh, year after year after year, that seems to be a place that you have to take action. Uh, but, you know, go back and look at these historic spreads between, uh, you know, August or October or August and December, and, and you're going to see some rather large premiums in the August to those those fall-winter time frames. Um, you know, some of the recent reports we've had on hogs have not been very bullish. Uh, we've got most likely now somewhat of an opposite situation in the lean hog uh, production where uh, production looks to build, and uh, we've, we've already seen the lowest slaughter for the year, so we're going to see production increase over the next several months, and the market will likely overdo that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised for them to try and take this December contract and jab through 50 just to recover at some point prior to expiration. And, Brian, of course, we did just have on the 4th of July the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest where that fella ate 74 dogs in a sitting. I mean, that's <laughs> got to be bullish as you look at these uh, this July contract. Man, that's a new personal record, I think, <laughs> and a new record overall. And uh, I had some Nathan's Hot Dogs over the weekend, actually. And Does it make you want to eat hot dogs? That's my question for people always. Watching somebody else uh, yeah. pound seventy four right. of them. No, it almost makes me not want to eat hot dogs. <laughs> exactly. I, I watch it, but um, you know, I, I, I'm going to continue to eat them. And we actually, there's a, a place in Aurora, Illinois, called the Worst Kitchen, and uh, they've got some phenomenal bratwurst there. They've been around since I think like 1895 or something nuts like that. So we uh, we had a little bratwurst eating competition yesterday. Yeah. Brian Split, if folks want to find find you, get more information, maybe talk to you about uh, learning to hedge, where should they get, go to get more info? Uh, you know, the first place you can always look up is our website. It's www.allendale-inc.com. Uh, you can reach me directly at 1-800-2-MARKET. So it's 1-800-262-7538, and I'm at extension 170. Fantastic. Brian Split, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Always appreciate your insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great one, guys. Well, again, a big thank you to Brian Split there. Now I'm hungry for ice cream and hot dogs. Oh, ice cream dogs. No, 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 no. Not together, just as a meal. Like dessert would, plus dinner. I could see Does that. Does anybody chop up hot dogs and put them in ice cream? No, yeah. but I put them in my mac and cheese. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ew, yeah. an ice cream? That doesn't seem like a normal thing to do. Well, I mean, pickle juice shakes are like a thing now, and that sounds disgusting. And apparently Ew. so was whale vomit many years ago. Right, right. The human palate, Delaney, is truly, truly disgusting. People might enjoy hot dog ice cream. Okay, well, you try it and let me know how it goes for you. Oh, no, no, no. It won't be me. <laughs> yeah, we, we should put a poll out on Twitter and get our listeners' input on that. Oh, I like yes. that. Yes, mm -hmm. we should. Hannah, we're going to put you in charge of that. We like your enthusiasm. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> well, let's see. Delaney, where can folks go to find uh, us if they want to tell us stuff or, uh, you know, maybe invest in the hot dog the, ice cream? Scheme? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to be involved in that Twitter poll, you can find us at Ag News Daily. You can also find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook. And you can always shoot us a comment if you don't social media by heading to our website, agnewsdaily.com, and giving us a little note on our contact us submission form. So with that, guys, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let them go.